Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, welcome here again. You've been welcomed three times already this morning, so welcome here. We're just so excited to have you here with us today. It's a good day. It's a good day. Well, um, 11 years ago, I should introduce myself first. I'm Greg Clark. I'm also one of the pastors up here. Uh, and we, uh, we just have, it's our privilege to serve you. So we're just excited to do that. 11 years ago, my family and I uh, were in Cambodia. Uh, we did our sabbatical at that time and uh, did three months in Hawaii with YWAM and then went to Cambodia for two months. Uh, and we had our whole family went there, which was awesome. Katrina was a year and a half uh, years old, um, and uh, Gavin was nine, so kind of all other kids were in the middle there. And while we were there, we learned a lot about Cambodia, fell in love with the country. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. Um, the, the state religion in Cambodia is Buddhism, but Hinduism plays a, a major part in its history as well. And when you go to Cambodia, you realize that Cambodia is, uh, is as beautiful as it, as it is, it's also steeped in idol and ancestor worship. There are idols and temples and altars everywhere you look in Cambodia. They're, they're in the hotels, in the restaurants, in the stores, on the street. They're paraded around all over the place. They can't be avoided. They're everywhere that you go. So here I am with my young family, nine uh, six, four, one and a half, and my amazing wife, um, and we're there. So, so what do we do? What do we do in a country full of idols with our kids? Well, we teach our kids spiritual warfare because we, we believe what John talks about in 1 John 4, 4 is true, that greater is he, Jesus, in them than he who is in the world. And they don't have a junior Holy Spirit in them. They have the Holy Spirit and they're empowered to do spiritual warfare against the demonic realm, even at their young age. So we taught them. We taught them to know who they are. You are a child of God. You're made in the image of God. You're filled with his spirit, equipped and empowered to do his work. Know that, the, know that you have power in you. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You carry the authority of Christ. You walk in the power of the spirit what you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we teach them this. And we teach them to make their stand against the enemy because Scripture tells us that when we stand against the enemy, he flees. And so my little kids go out into the world knowing who they are in Christ, what power they have in him, and how to tell the devil to go in Jesus' name. Pretty cool, right? You have that power too. So at some point, we go to a restaurant called the Snake House. It was a fantastic restaurant. We had read about it. It's half restaurant, half zoo. We thought this was a fantastic idea. So I load all the kids up into a tuk-tuk, which is a little motorcycle with the carriage on the back, and we head off to the Snake House restaurant. And of course, as you would, you would guess, it's filled with idols, as everything is. It's filled with idols. So before we arrive, I know what we're going into. And so as we go there, we uh, pray with the kids. We pray a prayer of protection. We remind ourselves that we're clothed in the armor of God. We, and we go into the restaurant, prayer guns ablazing. And the kids are commanding the demons out of every idol as we go by. 
It's just, it was awesome to see all of them. They're going, in Jesus' name, go. In Jesus' name, go. In Jesus' name, go. It was exciting to see them do this. And at one point, we turned a corner coming into the restaurant, and one of the kids says, oh, here's another one. And one of the other kids said, I already got that one. It was so fun to see them standing in their authority and their identity as warriors for Jesus Christ. It was a memorable day, and they learned a lot about how to live in a city full of idol worship. Which brings us to Corinth. Corinth was a city of idols, likely way worse than Cambodia. They were everywhere. The idols were all over the place. You couldn't avoid them. Which presented a problem for the brand new church in Corinth. Not only were they in a city full of idols, but many of the new Christians that were a part of this church came from a dark background of idol worship. So what would they do in this oppressive atmosphere? Well, that's the question they proposed to Paul in their letter to him. You remember, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, they wrote a letter to Paul asking him a bunch of questions. And they ask a question to him that we're going to talk about today in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10. Now, you remember, of course, that the church in Corinth was a hot mess at this time. And part of it is due, of course, I think, from this idol worship atmosphere that they're in the middle of. But as you know, if you've been following along with us, there was also massive division and infighting within the church. There was incredible sexual immorality. Uh, and as we learned last week, the relationships were all messed up. Pastor Nate spoke last week about the very first question that the Corinthians ask of Paul. It's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. They ask a question of Paul. They talk to him about what does... What does it look like to be married or single or what does divorce look like? They ask him that question. And Paul answers it in chapter 7. Well, today we get to the second question that the Corinthians asked of Paul. It's in chapter 8 here. It's around meat sacrificed to idols. They want to know, what do we do with this? It's a major part of our whole city. It's a major part of what's going on. What do we do around eating meat sacrificed to idols? And the question actually is two different questions. If you read the passage here, and hopefully you've read ahead, if you didn't read ahead, um, read these chapters later. But you'll see that there's almost two questions in these chapters. The first question is, can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? And the second question is, can we eat that meat in the pagan temples with our non-Christian friends? Now, we can assume by what we know of the Corinthian church that this question is likely also a divisive question within the church because there was incredible division within the church over everything. So we can assume that there was some division around this question as well. And we know that there's Jewish Christians that are in this church. And the Jewish Christians, they would have looked at this question and it would have been a simple question for them. They would have said, don't have anything to do with idols, don't eat the meat, don't hang around the temples, don't even, don't even hang out with the people who go to the temples, don't have anything to do with idols. But for the Gentile Christians who had come out of this pagan idolatry, who were likely still related to people who were not Christians, who were still going to the temple, this was a, this was a much more complex question and here's why. 
in this time, there weren't any restaurants. There weren't many restaurants. There were probably a couple, but there weren't restaurants on every corner like we do, like we have. I love going to a good steakhouse, but in 50 AD in Corinth, there were just no keg steakhouses, not even a sawmill, nothing. What they did have was temples, lots and lots of temples. And what would happen is when you were wanting to take a sacrifice, you would take the sacrifice to the temple, they'd cut it up, cook it up right there. They'd serve it to the priests. They'd serve it to the people who had given the sacrifice. In fact, the people who had brought the sacrifice likely would have brought their friends and other family members with them, and they would have had a big party around the table eating the sacrifice that had just been sacrificed. They would even take the leftover meat because they had tons of meat. There was lots of sacrifices going on in Corinth. They would take the leftover meat and they would sell it in the marketplace at a discounted rate. The temples served as steakhouses, of course, with a bit of an idolatrous twist to them. Now, we eat meat all the time, but back here in Corinth, unless you were wealthy, meat was a special thing. So if you got invited to a party where there was meat being served, it would be a hard thing to pass that up. So this passage deals with two divisive problems. Can Christians eat the cheap meat sacrificed idols? Because that extra meat that was sold to the marketplace for everyone who was not invited to these big parties or everyone who had um, a, a modest income, they would go to the marketplace and there was expensive meat over here and then there was all this cheap meat that was extra meat from the temple. So they're asking the question, can Christians eat that cheap meat that had been sacrificed to idols? The other question that they're asking is can we go to these celebrations? If my cousin or my dear friend, who I've known forever and grown up with, even though I'm a Christian now and they're not a Christian, can I go with them to celebrate with them in the temple? Am I allowed to do that? Now, like I said earlier, this is a divisive problem because the Jewish believers in Corinth were saying no way to both questions. But the Gentile believers were also split on this. Even the Gentile believers were split on this question. Some of the Gentile believers agreed with the Jewish believers, don't eat the meat, don't go to the temple. It's been tainted, and by eating the meat, you are basically worshiping the idol. But there were others, there were others, Gentile believers, who were saying, eat the meat, go to the temple. An idol is nothing. You have nothing to worry about. And this is where chapter 8 begins. This is the background to the question that they ask of Paul about eat, eating meat sacrificed to idols. And this whole section, chapters 8, 9, and 10, are all about this one topic. But this topic also fits into the whole of the book of 1 Corinthians as Paul once again draws the, the Corinthians to the two things that he is focusing on all the way through 1 Corinthians. And those two things are the issues of identity and mission. So let's look at these three chapters and the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we were in chapter 6 and we were talking about sexual morality. And Paul, in that chapter, seemed to quote the Corinthians. He's, he, he quotes a couple of things where he says in 1 Corinthians 6.12, Everything is permissible for me. And then in verse 13, it says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. 
It makes sense that Paul would quote them. It seems like when they wrote them, Paul, when, when the Corinthians wrote Paul a letter, they said things like this. They said, hey, Paul, we want to talk about sexual immorality, which is the situation in, in chapter 6. Everything is permissible for me and, and uh, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. That's what the Corinthians said to Paul. And when he wrote back to them, he gave his thoughts on their quotes. He actually even quotes this same, everything is permissible for me, in the passage we're talking about right now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's practice was to quote the Corinthians and then give his counterpoint to their quote. He does this a lot through the book of 1 Corinthians. You're going to see it all over the place because he's responding to their letter that they've written to him. A problem, though, is that it's sometimes difficult for us to know when Paul is quoting the Corinthians and when he's not. Because there, in, in early Greek, there were no quotation marks. So it wasn't really easy, it's not really easy for us today to know when Paul is quoting the Corinthians. But there's a lot of little clues uh, throughout the Greek that help us. We're not going to look into that because we're not biblical scholars, so we're not going to worry about that. But we're going to lean on other biblical scholars that help us out with this. So N.T. Wright who is a biblical scholar, is an amazing writer. I, I love the way he writes things. Um, he, as he speaks about this passage in Corinthians, he believes Paul is again quoting the Corinthians uh, as he did earlier in the beginning part of chapter 8 when he says this. 1 Corinthians 8.1, We know that we all possess knowledge. And then a couple of verses later, We know that an idol is nothing at all in this world, and that there is no God but one. Now, just know that I'm not necessarily saying that Paul is disagreeing with these things, but N.T. Wright believes that Paul is quoting the Corinthians when he's saying these two things. So looking now at the Corinthians' question, it sounds like the question that's coming to Paul about eating meat sacrificed to idols is not really a question coming from the group for clarification, they didn't get together and say, hey, we need to figure out what's going on here, so let's write Paul a question. What it looks like is happening is the group that was pro-meat is asking for justification from Paul. They're not asking for clarification, teach us. They're just saying, hey, Paul, here's the deal. We know we're all smart people, right? And we know that idols are nothing, right? So we can just do whatever we want, Right? This is kind of how the question is coming to Paul. Well, let's find out what Paul says. Paul starts this passage out with his first counterpoint to their comment about possessing knowledge. Look at what Paul says here. So Paul says, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. And here's his counterpoint. But knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Okay, so you likely know this already. If you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, there's probably a really powerful, memorable passage you know about called 1 Corinthians 13. It talks all about love. And so you know that that passage is coming. And here, Paul is beginning to kind of introduce this thought of love because he's building up to this kind of climactic moment in 1 Corinthians 13 that he's going to talk all about love. Paul is wanting to point out, even as early here as in chapter 8, 
that love needs to be the foundation of what we do. See, no matter what you do, no matter how smart you are, how much knowledge you have, no matter how much freedom, unity, sexual morality, celebration, no matter how much gifting you have, no matter what you have or what you do, if it's not stabilized on the foundation of love, then you will, you will have missed the whole message of God. You've missed it all. You can do all the right things for the wrong motives. And right at the beginning of this conversation on meat sacrificed to idols, while a group of the Corinthians would like to make this about knowledge and freedom, Paul changes it and makes it about love and eventually about sacrifice. So I know we've titled this sermon today, Freedom, but Paul would title it Love and Sacrifice. Let's continue on to find out why. After the knowledge puffs up, but love builds up part, the Corinthians try to say that eating meat sacrificed to an idol is no big deal because everyone knows that an idol is nothing. Here's what Paul says. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Not everyone knows this. Not everyone knows that, a, that an idol is nothing. Some people are still so accustomed to idols. This is what Paul says. Some people are so, still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it and no better if we do. Paul goes on, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. That's hard words. That's hard words. Paul finishes off this section by saying, Therefore, if, I, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Now, that, that passage pretty much sums it all up for us, right? That, that passage, it, it, Paul just speaks really well in that passage. And you get what he's saying here, right? And Paul agrees that an idol is nothing. Like, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. And eating meat sacrificed to an idol, not a big deal. Except when we're dealing with the effect it has on someone to whom it is a big deal. Some of these Corinthian believers have not matured enough in their faith to arrive at the same conclusions as Paul and some of these knowledgeable ones. They see their brothers and sisters eating idol meat and they fall back into their old way of worshiping idols. They see the more mature ones, the, the more knowledgeable ones doing this and it causes them to fall back into their old ways of living. Now it's important to note here that Paul does not speak poorly to those with weaker consciences. Paul could have taken this opportunity to say, hey, if you've got a weak conscience on this issue, pull up your bootstraps, get on with getting on, grow up, and just realize we know what we're talking about. He doesn't do that. Here's why. 
even though some of these weaker conscience brothers may eventually mature to the point where they realize the same thing, that idol meat is not really a big deal, there will always be new believers who will still need time to mature in their faith. There should be new believers coming into the church all the time. And so there will always be weaker conscience brothers in the church who don't understand that an idol really is nothing. And so Paul points his comments towards those who should know better. To those of you that are mature, here's what Paul says. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. So do you see how identity, Paul is is bringing the identity and mission in here. It's a little bit difficult sometimes to see this, but Paul is speaking about identity and mission here. He says, yes, you are free in Christ. You are free in Christ. You have freedom. Paul talks about freedom lots in his books. If you look around at any of the other epistles, Paul speaks about freedom lots. You are free in Christ. That's your identity. But in mission, in mission, we show restraint and we look around us and we are concerned about how this comes across to those around us. Paul says, look, the weaker conscience brothers are more important to me than my freedom in this. Now, if the Corinthians are still confused on the tale of saying this, that he will never eat meat again, Paul launches into one of his major points here in chapter 9. It's, a, it's an amazing chapter. Make sure you read it later. But Paul starts off by saying this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Paul says, look, I've got the freedom. I've got the rank. I've got the credentials. I'm free. I'm an apostle. I saw Jesus face to face. Right? I've got it all. If anyone has knowledge and freedom, it's me. If anyone has a right to do whatever they want to do, it's me. He goes on in chapter 9 to speak again and again and again about how he has the right and the ability and the freedom to do whatever he wants to do. But then look at what Paul says as he gets through this section of really kind of pointing out to them, I really can do whatever I want to do. Paul says, though I am free... And belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone. That's a crazy thing to say. It's a crazy thing to say. Why would he say something like that? Well, here's how he ends that verse. To win as many as possible. And then at the end of that paragraph, he says, for the sake of the gospel. I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible for the sake of the gospel. Paul, in that paragraph, says, To the Jews, I became a Jew. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. And he makes sure to say, even though I'm not under the law. But he says, I've become like one under the law. He says, to those not having the law, I became like one that didn't have the law. He says, to the weak, I became weak. And he finishes this off by saying, I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I might save some. The mission in Paul is strong. Then Paul goes into this illustration. It's an illustration you've heard of before. He actually uses this kind of an illustration in two different places uh, in his letters. But here's this illustration he uses here. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one 
gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, when we, uh, we usually take this, this section of this passage out of context, and we, we read it out, we're like, okay, we got to make sure that we're running, and this, this, this means, you know, this is talking about salvation, and this is talking about the kingdom, and so we need to run in such a way as to get the prize, the kingdom, or salvation, or something like that. But it's not really what Paul is talking about here. He might be thinking some of that, because this illustration is used a couple different times, so he may be thinking that kind of a way, but in context here, what Paul is saying is that I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to make sure that I am in strict training. I'm going to make sure that I beat my body. I'm going to make sure that I make my body my slave so that I can do everything that I can to win people to Christ. To win people to Christ. To win the Jews. To win those under the law. To win those not under the law. To to win the weak. To win everybody that I can to Christ. Run in such a way, live your lives in such a way that you do everything that you can to win people to Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. Paul says, I will never eat meat again if it makes someone stumble. In fact, I will forego all my rights and freedoms and make myself a slave for the sake of the gospel. N.T. Wright writes this, He says, Christian freedom is not freedom to do what you like, but freedom from all the things that stop you from being the person God really wants you to be, which is freedom for the service of God and gospel. Okay, so Paul has taken these couple of chapters to make a really strong argument to convince the Corinthians that they are free but that they also need to show some restraint in what they do for the sake of the gospel. Now, coming to chapter 10, Paul brings a bit of a warning. As you remember, there's two questions here. There's the first question of eating meat sacrificed to idols, and then there's a second question of eating that meat in a temple. And here in chapter 10, Paul begins to warn the believers about eating the meat in the temple by comparing the practice with the Lord's Supper. So again, remember, let's first first look at his words here. I want to read this passage here, and then I I want to point out something for you. So watch this here. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. So if you were with us a couple weeks ago, you know that in chapter 6, Paul also says, flee sexual immorality. So here he's saying, flee idolatry. Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to the sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for, what, which, for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all share the same loaf. So he's talking about this celebration of the Eucharist or communion, the Lord's Supper. And then in the next paragraph, he talks about Israel. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. 
And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. So Paul is directly comparing, directly speaking to this practice of going into the temple and having a meal together with meat sacrificed to idols in the temple with, with your friends and relatives and, and pagans. That's directly what he's speaking to. He's not talking about going to the home of people and eating meat there. He talks about that differently. He says, if you go to the home of somebody who serves you meat, don't ask where it came from. Just eat it. If they say, hey, this meat came from a sacrifice to an idol, you probably shouldn't eat it because there might be some weaker conscience brothers around you. Okay, but that's that situation. Now we're talking about what do you do if your friends invite you to go into the temple and eat meat in the temple that's been sacrificed to an idol. And Paul connects this here to the Lord's Supper. If you go into the temple and eat at the altar, you are participating in the table of demons. And he compares that to what it looks like to participate in the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper. Now, the reason Paul is doing this is because in chapter 11, we're in chapter 10 right now, in chapter 11, he begins to talk about the Lord's Supper and the, pra- the way that the Corinthian church is practicing the Lord's Supper. So he's beginning to make his transition from over here talking about meat sacrificed to idols and, and going into the temple and eating that meat, and now what does it look like to have the Lord's Supper together as the body of Christ? So he's transitioning into his next topic, which is the Lord's Supper. You've got to remember here that the book of 1 Corinthians was written as a whole. Now, we're preaching it over two months, so you're getting it in like eight different installments. But for the Corinthian church, they would have sat down and read the whole thing, one word to the next. No chapter breaks, no paragraph breaks, none of that. They would have just read the whole thing. So they're reading this whole piece that goes from, from division to disorder to sexual immorality to marriage to meat sacrifice to idols to, to the Lord's Supper to the gifts to the love chapter, to the resurrection. They're reading all this in one setting and it all goes together. Everything is connected in this whole book. We're kind of pulling out just chapters 8 to 10 and looking at them today. But this is all connected. So that's why Paul begins to go into talking about how important it is for you to not go to the table of demons, go to the altar, go to the temple and worship in there with your friends. Why that's important, because doing that is incompatible with going to the Lord's table and worshiping with the Lord. You can't do both. They're incompatible. So Paul is making his argument here that though eating meat sacrificed to idols is really nothing, the difference here is now eating meat sacrificed to idols in the temple is a big deal. It's the difference between menu and venue. It's the difference between what you eat and where you eat it. Now, I don't know how this is important to us, but it's important to what Paul is talking about with the Corinthians. So, it's all connected all the way through the whole of the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're going to get into the Lord's Supper next time in a couple of weeks, but for now, here's Paul's conclusion to this whole conversation about eating meat, sacrificed to idols. Paul, in this couple of chapters, 
points out that you can eat the meat sacrificed to idols because you, after all, are free. But out of love, limit yourself depending on who's around you at the time so that others around you won't be harmed by the expression of your freedom. And when it comes to eating that meat in the pagan temple, just don't do it. Because you don't belong to that demon, you belong to Christ. And to eat at the demon's table would be incompatible with eating at Christ's table. And so Paul wraps up this section by saying this. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 31. He says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, remember we've talked about a lot of things so far. We've talked about division, disorder, sexual morality, marriage, now it's eating meat, sacrificed idols. Paul's speaking about all this stuff. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So what does this all mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, that's a loaded topic, isn't it? Freedom today is like a super hot button issue. Super hot button. We were at a hockey game here recently, and they sang the national anthem. And we got to the end part where it says glorious and free. And when it said free, everybody's like, yeah, freedom. It was pretty exciting. But freedom's a hot topic issue today. And I'm not going to even talk about it. Idol worship as well is all around us. Sometimes it looks like it's a little more under the table and we don't really recognize it. But goodness gracious, I know I can, I can, I can name for you a number of things in my life that I've worshipped above Christ. And you probably can think of a few as well. Idol worship is all around us. And there are weaker conscience brothers and sisters all around us as well. And there are puffed up knowledge brothers and sisters around us as well. So how does this all shake out? What do we do? What do we do with this? Well, here's what I want you to do. Instead of me giving you application points and me prescribing for you something to do, let's ask Jesus. Pastor Amy this morning um, invited you at some point to listen to Jesus. We hear the, the, the voice of Jesus. We hear him speak to us. She invited you, if you hear something, uh, for the church to come and share it with us. We'd love to hear about that. But right now, we're going to ask Jesus to speak to us directly, okay? Because he does this. He does this. So here's the two questions. They're up on the screen here. You're going to take a moment right now to ask Jesus, Jesus, what are you highlighting for me today in this passage? And Jesus, what is one step I can take to respond? So just as we move into this closing song of worship, um, feel free to stay seated or to stand. Listen to Jesus for a moment and ask him these two questions and see how he would have you to respond to the message today. All right. So a couple of thoughts um, just as we wrap this up. So wherever you find yourself today um, in this story, whatever Jesus has spoken to you today, my encouragement to you is to do that thing. What has he highlighted to you? How is he calling you to respond? Do those things. If you're here with us or you're watching online even later on this week and, 
if you're not a believer, if you have come here today and you've gone, you know, I want to know about Jesus more or I've been doing this for a while and I don't know who he is. He is the one who has come to give his life up. The only person in all of history that could say he has the freedom to not die, the freedom to not pay for sin, the freedom to not go to the cross, the freedom to to not have to, to pay for all of eternity for his sin. And that he gave up that freedom for you and for me to give us the chance to know God, to be forgiven. And so if you're in a place where you've not yet repented of your sins or or, or left behind your old life or or asked Jesus to come into your heart, I'm going to lead you in a prayer now to do that. The prayer is not magical, but it helps to express what we're thinking. So if you just bow your your, your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment, if you want to know Jesus today for the first time, you can just say, hey, Jesus, here I am. I want to leave behind my old life and get a brand new life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, forgiving me of all my sins and making me a child of God. I invite you to come into my life right now. Lead me and guide me. In Jesus' name, amen. And for everyone else, I want to pray a blessing over you as you go throughout your week this week. So here's the blessing. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing who you are, knowing that you love us and care for us. You sent your son Jesus to die for us. And so Jesus, as we step out of this place today, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, if there is an idol in our heart, if there's an idol we've been worshiping at, Lord, we just, we just send that to the cross right now in your name, Jesus Christ. Do away with that in our life. Lord, if there is some freedom we've been hanging on to or something we've been hanging on to and not thinking about those around us, Lord, crucify that. Help us to be aware of of how our freedom impacts those around us. Lord, if there is anything in our life that is not right, take it away and help us, Lord, to be both have a a great understanding of our identity in you, Jesus, and the mission you've put us on. We pray, Lord, for a filling of your spirit today that you would fill us and equip us and empower us to do the work you've called us to do and help us to step into the godly freedom you've given for us and the mission you've laid before us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray these things in your wonderful and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.